I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Last week, news outlets from across the globe zeroed in their focus on the Tennessee State House. And for good reason, Republicans voted to expel Democrats Justin Jones of Nashville and Justin J. Pearson of Memphis from the legislative body. The reason? Breaking House rules by joining protests for gun law reform on the House floor. The incident has ignited outrage across the state and nation. We're drawing closer attention to Tennessee's political history as well. So what does this say about the state of our democracy in Tennessee? That's coming up later this hour. But first, a lot's been going on with Metro Council over the last few weeks. Not only are they grappling with hasty redistricting efforts after the Tennessee state legislature passed a bill slashing the size of Metro Council in half, but now they're faced with the reappointment of the recently expelled Democratic state rep, Justin Jones. WPLN's Midday News Report producer, Cynthia Abrams, is here with us today to break things down. Cynthia, welcome back to This is Nashville. Thanks, Cleo. Okay, so what's on Metro Council's plate today? So a few things are on the docket for Metro today. They had 30 days from when Governor Lee signed the law slashing the size of council to get these maps in place. And today is that deadline. They've drafted up a few versions, and last week they reluctantly officially recommended two maps. All right, so what do the maps look like, and and which ones are they leaning toward? So they recommended two different maps. In one, Davidson County would be divided into 15 districts with five at-large seats. In the other, they would have 17 districts with three at-large seats. And either way, that's a pretty big difference from the 40 seats currently in place. Mm -hmm. How is Metro feeling about the process? Not happy. Mm -hmm. To start with, you know, there's this feeling that the law itself was passed out of retribution for the Metro Council vetoing a proposal that would have had Nashville host the 2024 Republican National Convention. And because Metro is the only governing body over 20 members in Tennessee, Nashville's the only impacted government in the entire state um, under this law. So a lot of people feel this is pretty targeted legislation. And like it's an example of state overreach into matters that should remain in the hands of the city. This is not the only example of targeted legislation this city, from bills that have targeted the airport and sports authority boards to the convention center. It's really been a full frontal assault to Nashville's right to self-governance. And at a public hearing at Metro Council uh, last week, many community members urged the council not to take any action and instead just let the legislation play out in court. Here's what one community member, Dr. Judy Cummings, had to say. And my question to you this evening is why? Why are you entertaining a vote other than no? on a bill that is clearly not in the best interest of those you are elected to serve. A bill that is clearly a retaliatory move by the state's supermajority against Nashville's progressive-leaning council. So while some council members have floated the idea of shrinking the council, 
they really do feel like it's a city matter, not a state one. And as recently as 2015, Nashville voters rejected a proposal to shrink its size. Okay, so for listeners who may not know the history, can you explain explain briefly why the Metro Council is so large? The size of the council goes all the way back to 1962 when they were establishing a metro government in the first place. So the city of Nashville and Davidson County merged to create one consolidated governing body. And this large council has been really, really important in ensuring adequate representation. Um, Right now, the council is about 25 percent black, which is pretty representative of the city of Nashville itself. And cutting the council down might result in cutting this representation down. So along with this rush timeline, representation is something that Metro is really, really concerned about. So concerned, actually, that they very quickly filed a lawsuit against the state. What's the status of that lawsuit? Yeah, so as if today's deadlines weren't enough news, there may also be a decision from the court, from a three-judge panel that heard arguments from both the city and the state last week as the city seeks a temporary injunction. Okay, so what happens if they do get that injunction? So if they are granted that injunction, it would basically freeze the current law and the upcoming August 3rd election would likely proceed with the current 40 members on the ballot. Um, You know, the city is expecting to hear this by the end of today, and they're really hoping for that injunction because, again, elections are just a few months away. This is really high stakes. And, you know, whichever party becomes the losing party, they are likely to appeal. Realistically, this case could make it to the Tennessee Supreme Court. Mm, Okay, so potentially there could be a court decision. What else is happening for Metro today? Somehow that is not all. Okay. The Metro Council is also meeting this afternoon in just a few hours to discuss the vacant District 52 seat. So Representative Justin Jones was expelled from the state legislature last week after he, along with Reps Justin J. Pearson and Gloria Johnson, led protests on the House floor um, calling for gun reform after the Covenant school shooting. And so Justin Jones's expulsion has left the District 52 seat wide open. That means more than 70,000 Tennesseans don't have a voice in the state house for the remaining weeks of the session. What do you think they'll do? So Tennessee law requires that after legislators are expelled, county councils from wherever those legislators are from must appoint an interim replacement. And according to council rules, the process is required to take up to four weeks, but the council could vote down those rules tonight to expedite the process. Okay, so, you know, there seems like there's been a groundswell of support to reinstate them given this national spotlight, right? Yeah, you know, Metro Council is under a lot of scrutiny right now just because of how much national attention these expulsions have received. And a majority of Metro Council members, I think last time I checked, it was at least 30 of the 40 members, have already made statements saying they will vote at today's meeting to reappoint Jones back to his seat. So he would just need a simple majority to reclaim it. That is WPLN Midday News producer Cynthia Abrams, who will be at the Metro Council meeting tonight. Cindy, thanks for being here and thanks again for your reporting. Thanks so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at some of the context around the expulsions of state representatives Justin Jones and Justin J. Pearson. What is your confidence level in our state legislature after last week's expulsions? We want to hear about it. So tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The Tennessee State House has been in the global news cycle recently, and if you listen to WPLN, you know why. On a near party line vote, State House Rep- Republicans voted to expel Democratic representatives Justin Jones of Nashville and Justin J. Pearson of Memphis. Along with Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, there they joined gun reform protesters in chants from the House floor last week. Jones and Pearson are both young at an African-American. Johnson, who was white, avoided expulsion by one vote. While this one incident has drawn a lot of eyes, it's not isolated. My next guests are here to offer some context for this current political moment. Holly McCall is the editor-in-chief at the Tennessee Lookout. She is joined by Jicola Lane, statewide organizer with Free Hearts. Jicola, Holly, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Khalil. Really appreciate you both being here. So, Jicola, tell me, what was your first reaction to the expulsion of Pearson and Jones from the State House? My first reaction really honestly was this is very on brand for Tennessee. That's immediately what came to my mind, um, you know, from years of interacting with legislators and uh, seeing black representatives be uh, treated condescendingly um, and even community members. I was not shocked at all, unfortunately. On brand, you're saying? Very on brand. Okay, so I want to read for our listeners something you tweeted shortly after the expulsion vote. Quote, I am a black woman born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I experienced racism for the first time at three years old. I still do not stop in certain parts of the state when I'm traveling. I have organized all across this city and state. What the nation is seeing is not new, end quote. Why did you feel compelled to put that out there? I felt compelled to share that because there was a lot of, you know, we're better than this, uh, Mm. you know, and no, we're not. This is who Tennessee is. This is who it has always been. And, um, when I was three years old, you know, here in Nashville at our corner store, um, my mom was spat at. Like, that, I distinctly remember that happening. And um, there has been all types of racism we have uh, dealt with in this state um, as black Tennesseans. And I think that it was important to share that because this is our reality. Mm-hmm. And because there is national attention on Tennessee, uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of being revisionist historians. And I thought it was important to share that context of, no, this is what happens and has happened. And I'm only 33 years old in my lifetime. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying you posted that because a lot of people have been shocked and surprised by the moves, but you're saying if you pay attention, there's no reason to be shocked. There's no reason to be shocked at all. I think it is absolutely important to continue to call it out. We should not be uh, allowing this behavior, but this is our reality, so, and it is on brand. So when, when it like when it comes to dissenting views, do you feel like Nashville's Metro Council has its own problems in respecting dissenting views from their own? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I also, sh- I've been tweeting a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also shared that, you know, I've been a protester at Metro Council. Um, in 2017, when Jacquees Clemens was killed by Metro Nashville Police Department, we shut the city council meeting down and 
they did not support protesters. They are now uh, supporting the lawmakers who were protesting. And so I think it's just important, again, to really be clear about what we have been dealing with in this city and this state, even from people who are considering themselves progressives in the National Metro Councils in Memphis, Tennessee. They have not been consistently supportive of protesters, even in those bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, Holly, you've been covering state politics for a long time. Obviously, these expul- expulsions have gotten a lot of attention, but... You know, help us put all of this in context. How does this moment compare to past expulsions? Well, you know, there have not been very many expulsions. As a matter of fact, expulsions have only come up three times since the Civil War. The last time was in fall of 2016 when then-Representative Jeremy Durham, a Republican, was expelled. Now, even that was pretty different from this one. In this case, you know, these three lawmakers were brought up on expulsion charges within within days of this protest. And then they were like, the expulsion hearing was held a week and a half afterwards. In the case of Jeremy Durham, he had sexually harassed or assaulted at least 23 women. That had been talked about for years in the legislature. In late spring, I believe, of 2016, the state attorney general produced a lengthy report. It was at least 60 pages that documented all of this. And, you know, at the time, State lawmakers, that we had a GOP supermajority then, said, well, you know, we'll just move his office because the mm. attorney general said, you've got to move his office. He's a danger to women. But they're, they still said, well, he's been duly elected. I think he only got expelled at that time because he was he lost his primary. He dropped out of the Republican primary about a week beforehand because he was getting so much pressure from other Republicans because he was hurting the brand. Mm-hmm. And so he was only, I think, expelled and pushed out when he became no longer useful to the Republican Party. So last week, these representatives were expelled for minor rules infraction. And we haven't have we seen that in the legislature before? What you just explained is a serious offense. We haven't seen anything like that. You know, there are multiple ways that the legislature could have punished these lawmakers if they were upset about it. They could have censured them. They could have stripped them from committees. They did initially strip Gloria Johnson and Justin Jones from committees. They didn't strip Justin Pearson because he had not been assigned to any committees yet. Mm. He was formally sworn in March 27th. He hasn't been able to vote, to sponsor bills, hasn't even been able to sit on a committee. Now, talk to me about Representative David Byrd, the Republican who represents Waynesboro. He, in 2018, he was accused of sexual assault, right? He was. He had actually been accused of sexual assault for a long time, but it was about 2018, I think, that it became public. It was 2018. So he had coached the high school basketball team, the girls' high school basketball team at Wayne County High School. And several women said that he had fondled them, made inappropriate advances, sexually harassed them, groped them when they were teenagers, and he was their basketball coach. And one woman, Christy Rice Duran, became very open about it. She met with the governor. Um, She was very public. It made national news at the time. And at that time, once again, the Republican uh, leadership said, well, he's been duly elected, and we're we're not going to do anything. As a matter of fact, then-Speaker of the House, Glenn Cassida, appointed him to chair the Education Committee, which was a further affront. This is a person who has been an educator, sexually abused his position, and then is leading the Education Committee. Now, you mentioned former House Speaker and former Representative Cassida. He's one of other representatives who kind of avoided expulsion, even though they had some serious accusations against them. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, there's such a double standard uh, in the legislature. Speaker Cassida, 
He got a vote of no confidence from his caucus, was forced to step down as speaker. Six months later, his home and office were raided by the FBI, along with two other lawmakers. He still wasn't expelled. He was allowed to continue his term. He actually ran for re-election in 2020. He won, and it was only in 2022 that he decided not to run for re-election again. But he sat there, Representative Robin Smith also was not expelled. She resigned from the legislature only after she was indicted by the FBI. And then there's another lawmaker up there, Representative Todd Warner. He's under FBI investigation. His home and office were were raided at the same time Cassida and Smith's were, and he's still in in office. Mm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about recent events at the Tennessee State House and our state's history of corruption. My guests are community organizer Jacola Lane and Holly McCall of the Tennessee Lookout. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. So, you know, this should go without saying, but I think it's Pretty powerful to point out. The removal of two House members means that hundreds of thousands of people are now without representation at the state level. Jacola, you mentioned this earlier. While local representatives in Memphis and Nashville have pledged to vote Jones and Pearson back into office as interim representatives, I'm curious about the potential merry-go-round of who's in office and who's out. Holly, what happens if they get sent back to the House by their local commissions? Well, you know, there were rumors that Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton would not seat the two lawmakers. I'm seeing some dial back on that now. I believe it was a Channel 2 reporter here, WKRN, who said he spoke to Sexton. Sexton says he will seat the speaker, seat the lawmakers. But I don't know why we should expect any different treatment, because expulsion was just the last step. They have been, their microphones have been repeatedly cut off. Even Gloria Johnson stood last year for 45 minutes on the House floor with her hand in the air trying to be recognized and was not recognized. So I don't know that we can expect any different treatment for them. Will they get committee assignments? Will Will they be heard? Will their bills, I mean, they can't file any more bills this year because the deadline has passed. I don't know that there's any reason for House leadership to change their behavior when the cameras go away. Jacola, mm. uh, what are your concerns as all of this plays out? Um, one thing that I'm thinking about right now, which I also shared, was um, how black women has been overlooked a lot in this conversation. There actually, in 2022, was a senator from Memphis, Katrina Robinson, who was also expelled. I went to her hearing. I was in a, a merge Tennessee with her uh, years ago as she was prepping to run for office. And um, she, she faced charges of wire fraud. Um, Free Hearts is an organization that's led by formerly incarcerated women. A lot of us, many of us have stood in front of judges. So we believe that she should also have her day in court. Prematurely, the Tennessee state uh, legislator wanted to expel her immediately. She is expelled. There has been very little mention of Senator Katrina Robinson from Memphis and how she was treated. There has been very little talk about the black women who have stood up and also resisted the racist legislators in the Tennessee House, in the Tennessee Senate. I was talking to Professor Sekou Franklin earlier today, who teaches political science at MTSU, and there's a long history of black women, Johnny Turner, uh, Barbara Cooper, who literally waved mops to get attention on mm-hmm. the House and Senate floors to be, to speak. Uh, Senator Brenda Gilmore, who just retired, who who tried to uh, send, you know, um, 
worried about uh, slavery amendments and they they d- treated these black women disgustingly. So I also am thinking about how black women have been overshadowed. Um, and I just want to, again, lift up Senator Katrina Robinson, who also was just expelled last year in 2022. You know, you attend you you're at because of your your work, you're at the state house talking to lawmaker makers regularly. What are your concerns about the behaviors of our state lawmakers right now at this moment? Their behaviors have, again, this is just something that many people like me, Holly, who goes to the legislature all the time, has honestly seen repeatedly. And so for us, it's not a right now. It's as has always been. Um, And. You know, there's been many news uh, specials talking about the chaos that is the Tennessee legislator, and it's normalized. Mm. And so until other people, particularly people uh, who are white, people particularly who have the power in this state, Republicans start to speak up about it, it's not going to change. And I'm also thinking about the victims at the Covenant School in this moment. My friend's father was one of the... Uh, victims who was killed. And that has been lost. That has been lost in majority of these conversations. And it has been utilized for fundraising efforts and, you know, ridiculous statements from the GOP to fundraise. I'm just disgusted by it all. And I think more people uh, uh, are paying attention because of this being in the national news. And I'm excited that more people are paying attention because they need to be held accountable. Like, like noting on your disgust, Chicola, the conversations I was having this weekend, particularly yesterday at, at an Easter function, a lot of people are disgusted about this with, with without regard to their political affiliation. And, you know, we're looking at how you both, as you were saying, this is business as usual. Holly, I was seeing you shaking your head like, yes, this is business as usual. Yet at the same time, Republicans, they still they have currently a supermajority at the state legislature. International and national media has been pretty intensely looking at this. Do you think that this could potentially change the makeup of the General Assembly? I do. I think it's going to take more than two years. I think in the short term, the Tennessee Republicans will be okay. I think in the long term, we're going to see some significant change. And I'm going to step back a little bit. I first worked at the Tennessee General Assembly in 1980 when I was a 15-year-old intern, and that's when the Democrats had a supermajority, and they held the majority from after Reconstruction until 2008. And let me just say that Democrats' behavior was also pretty bad. Mm -hmm. They had a guy who was reelected to the legislature from jail. He later had to resign because he was under federal indictment. So Democrats were also guilty of some pretty bad behavior and were busted in a couple of major corruption phases. And what we saw was the arrogance and the complacence of the Democratic Party. But I think we're seeing the same thing with House Republicans, with state Republicans now. But they are speeding towards the eventual consequence of losing power much faster than Democrats did. So what does all of this reveal about the legislative process in Tennessee? You know, I think there's that old saying that people use a lot about absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is a problem when you have a supermajority. They aren't accountable to anybody. We currently have a Republican governor, presumably, although he has said nothing about any of these expulsions and very little about this mass shooting, back to Jacola's point. Um, but we've got a supermajority, and they're not accountable to anybody. Their state party is not strong. The Republican uh, 
Republican, uh, the Tennessee Republican Party is not strong. Neither is the Tennessee Democratic Party, but the Republicans have all this power. Eventually, I think as people in other parts of Tennessee start to learn about what's going on up there, nobody likes an abuse of power. Nobody likes it. Nobody enjoys corruption. And one of the things the Tennessee Lookout does is we share our content so people in small in small newspapers can learn about what's going on up there. And eventually, we're going to see the arc bend backwards again. Is it unusual for a governor not to say anything about people being expelled from the legislature? Um, yes. This governor, like, I, I think maybe we should have him checked out by an orientologist to see if he can actually speak uh, or if he has become mute. He has said he says very little. The last time I think he did a public media availability was the day that someone uh, questioned him about his photos in high school drag. And that's been six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. He does not speak to the media. Uh, You know, he had a couple of friends who were killed in this mass shooting at Covenant. He still didn't address that like live publicly. He put out a canned video statement and he said zero about what's going on in the legislature. And so you have to presume in light of that, that Cameron Sexton, the Speaker of the House, is running this state. Mm. You know, getting back to this tragedy that really incited all of this, regardless of political party, everybody was affected. Everybody came together to help each other heal during this, this this very difficult time that we're really at the beginnings of. How, Jacola, how can we shift the focus? Like, what do you want this conversation to be focused on right now while the political histrionics are occurring? I think that we really need to focus on the issues. And I think that the lawmakers who are were expelled were trying to elevate those issues. And uh, gun control is not the only issue either. And I think it's really important that we have to hold all these nuances at the same time and really be speaking and listening to the people and the families and the communities who are affected by this. And I think that has been extremely overshadowed by the chaos mm. of the supermajority. And I do think that um, although the Democrats do not hold um, they, the the power as they have in the past, that they also have been complicit a lot of times and they have not really done all they can to elevate the issues that the lawmakers were talking about or that they have advocated for in the past. Um, I was talking this morning with um our director of our community oversight board, you know, that is also up again. You know, people and families who were impacted by police violence and voters all over Nashville put that into place. Five years later, we're now dealing with an overreach again, which they immediately did when it was passed. And so we really need them to focus in on the issues that people are outraged about and that they are bringing to them to do something about not all this petty, vindictive things um, and behavior that we continue to see from them over and over. What about people? A lot of this has been focused on Nashville. You know, Um, I listen to international news and everybody's coming, coming back to Nashville, but it's kind of Tennessee, the entire state here. What can people in the state understand about where we're at right now? What do you want them to feel? want people in this state to feel and know that they have power. Rural Tennesseans have so much power. And even at Free Hearts, we, you know, realize that Nashville doesn't have any power as as far as the legislator goes. Um, um, And we have started, you know, fellowships and outreach to formerly incarcerated people in rural Tennessee. That's where a lot of our prisons are. That's where a lot of money 
you know, is being invested. And so we know that they are also impacted by a lot of the issues that we care about. And so we've started to have conversations um, with them, with the constituents of the lawmakers who are being very chaotic and that they're acting this way on their behalf. And so um, I think that's what the message is and what people should know. And we want to continue to have people stand in that power and to be more vocal and, and hold them accountable. Now, Holly, what about the fact that Rep- Representative Jones and Pearson and Johnson were talking about gun law reform and that's why they were up for expulsion so quickly? You know, is there something about this issue in particular that changes the conversation at the state house? Oh, absolutely. Nobody in the Republican Party these days wants to even acknowledge that weapons are a problem. We keep coming back to the Second Amendment. And I don't there probably are some people who are anti-Second Amendment. Look, I grew up in the country. I'm a country girl. I, I still have a shotgun by my bed. Like, we acknowledge that people hunt. But there are weapons like AR-15s that just, there are millions of them on the streets. I don't even know how to put that toothpaste back in the tube. But there's another issue that Republicans like to bring up to turn the subject off guns, and they'll say it's not the guns, it's the mental health. Well, I think we can acknowledge that anybody who uses a weapon to shoot up a bank as happened in Louisville this morning or a school as happened two weeks ago, is mentally ill. But Republican, the Republican Party is also not funding mental health. You know, our legislature has failed to take a Medicaid expansion program that is costing this state billions of dollars that would help people access all types of health care. And so it's a double whammy that, like, everybody wants to talk about guns. Guns are important, but it also is the mental health. And Republicans fail to take action on either weaponry or mental health. So that kind of feels like more of the same that you were talking about, G. Cola, kind of shifting the blame somewhere and making these empty promises, right? Absolutely, because we have they have billions of dollars to pour into policing and incarceration and prisons. But as Holly said, these alternatives that our community actually needs, they are not meeting them. And we have talked over and over about criminal justice reform and all of these things. And we tell people, hey, people need housing, people need health care. These are the things that people need that will stop, you know, us from having to invest in incarceration and that's not happening and it's intentional. What do you want to see from lawmakers, not just the Republican ones, but the Democratic lawmakers who've been out there and serving for years? I want them to really elevate these issues on a regular basis and focus in on them in a way that um, has not been done before. You know, again, now that this is national news, we are in support of protests. But how many protesters have came to the legislature, have came to council and commissions all over this state, particularly in Nashville and Memphis, where these legislators are from, who has been expelled to say, hey, this is what we need you all to act on. And it's not being done to the to the point that it is now because it's trending. Honest. Representation with integrity is what you're asking for. Absolutely. All right. We'll see if we can get some. <laughs> Jacola Lane is a statewide organizer. Jacola, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Kudo. And Holly McCall will stay with us through the break. When we come back, we'll look at the wider impacts of the expulsions and find out how you can tell when power starts to bleed into fascism. What do you think of the House's move to expel two Democrat representatives? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this 
is Nashville. Last week, two Democratic representatives were expelled from the State House for joining a gun violence protest on the House floor. The vote to oust the young lawmakers was suggested and brought to the floor quickly. Many are calling it unprecedented, especially in the face of other lawmakers who were scrutinized for serious crimes yet avoided expulsion. Does such heavy-handed silencing of dissent indicate a slide towards fascism? My next guests are here to answer that question. Aaron York is an assistant professor and a C Family Dean's faculty fellow in political science at Vanderbilt University, where she studies authoritarian regimes. And Cindy D. Com is a political science reporter at Vanderbilt professor, pardon me, at Vanderbilt, where she studies political philosophy and participate. Participa participation. Professor York, Professor Cam, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Cindy, you study political participation. Uh, what, what's your read on how people are reacting to this expulsion vote? I think it's interesting to, to consider that people will respond to it with their own pre-existing lenses. So when we think about how people respond to this vote, there's going to be a wide variety of reactions, right? So some people who are predisposed to think that gun violence is a problem, to think that there are structural problems in uh, power re revolving around race, right, are going to see this as an example of that silencing and of existing structural racism. Then there are people mm -hmm. on who also believe that, you know, legislators need to follow rules, Right. And people who are really uh, sort of keen on rule following will say, oh, well, this action is justified because there are a couple of members of the assembly who are not following the rules. And so they should be expulsed. So you have some of those rule, let's say, um, rule favorable people within all the political parties. But does political affiliation determine how people will perceive these? Like, for instance, how would a Republican look at this and what would help them understand in a way to for them to relate to what is happening here with these expulsions? I think people understand unfolding events through analogies. So they may draw analogies to other events that they're familiar with. So I've heard people use the analogy of January 6th and mm -hmm. to say that, well, if the Democrats were harsh on January 6th people, we're going to use that frame to help Republicans understand why we are being harsh today. Right. So from a Republican perspective, I, I have heard that frame used because we know people understand unfolding events through the analogies and examples and experiences that they've had. Has anything surprised you about these analogies, as you put it, around this expulsion vote? Well, I personally was surprised when I saw that um, Gloria Johnson was not expulsed, um, uh, but Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were. And I was surprised because, well, if the three of them are branding themselves together as the Tennessee Three, you would think they would be treated in a similar way. But of course, we know that the votes unfolded differently. Mm -hmm. um, I also was surprised when I heard right away the talk about how it must be racism. And I was surprised just because I didn't know, right? I, I had lots of ways I was thinking about how these lawmakers differ. They differ on many uh, dimensions, 
including race, but also gender, but also age, mm-hmm. but also uh, sort of the urban versus city uh, representation. So there are many ways in which uh, they differ from each other. And I didn't immediately seize on race, but I absolutely understand why that was, of course, uh, that has been the uh, frame that's been circulating. Now, Aaron, the rules of the state house allow for them to remove a representative as long as they have two thirds of the chamber vote to do so. That's the rule. But what stands out to you about how it was used in this case? Uh, Yeah. So I think that what's interesting here is that, you know, what hasn't changed in Tennessee are the institutions themselves. The Constitution, as you note, grants the legislature this right to remove members um, with a two thirds majority vote. Uh, We can imagine a lot of good reasons to have something like that if a lawmaker is misbehaving in between election cycles and the voters don't have an opportunity to remove them, like if they are convicted of criminal contact convict conduct, which has happened in the past. Um, this is important to have this opportunity to get them out of office be- you know, between election cycles. Um, but in the past, as, as Holly was noting earlier on the program, um, this hasn't been used uh, f- uh, to punish people for this form of disorderly conduct or what we might, what many people might agree is sort of minor disorderly conduct or first offense. Um, and so the fact that is that the law, the, the rule itself hasn't changed. Uh, it's just how it's being used um, by this Republican supermajority. They've set sort of a new precedent for how they're using it. Um, and one also has the sense that in this case, um, members of different parties might be held to different standards in this regard. So mm-hmm. the idea is that disorderly conduct um, by a Democrat lawmaker might be judged or deemed more worthy of punishment than disorderly conduct by a Republican lawmaker. I'm interested in to hear what you think about rules and versus norms when it comes to our democracy currently. Yeah. So, I mean, the good news is that we still have elections. We still have the the prospect of electoral accountability and voters will have an opportunity to evaluate the performance of this existing legislature in the next election cycle. Um, That being said, I kind of think in this case, uh, you know, because these rules haven't changed, the rules themselves, you know, they've facilitated democracy in Tennessee for, you know, hundreds of years at this point. We are we've been living with the same Tennessee Constitution for a very long time. This rule uh, has been in place for a very long time. It hasn't been one that's been used um, to kind of uh, move against democratic ideals uh, in this way. Um, that being said, in this case, you know, again, this change in how the rule is being used, this use of the rule um, to punish this, uh, you know, relatively minor infraction um, is a change in convention. It's a change in how people are using the rules. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to me that the Republican caucus was able to amass such widespread support. You know, the and effectively the entire Republican caucus voted against uh, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones um, for what was such a small infraction and something that was very much unprecedented in the way that the, the vote was used. So this is, you know, a, a shift in how these are being used, shift in conventions, but the rules themselves, they're still they're still what they're, they were before. They're yeah. still there. With the norms and how <laughs> exactly. they're being, according and, and, to who's in power. And to be clear, you know, the, the Constitution doesn't actually say anything about how this rule should be used. And so the fact that the, you know, it hasn't been used in this way before um, is encouraging for, you know, the, the history of our democracy. Um, but the fact that it uh, it has, you know, is, has been used this way now is a bit discouraging because there aren't really any institutional safeguards against this uh, now that the the uh, supermajority has established a precedent um, for, you know, voting in this way um, for these types of infractions. So it speaks to the climate of our democracy more so than the democracy itself. Exactly. I think so. OK, so, you know, there's redrawing of district maps means that people are going to be underrepresented and some claim that's a form of voter suppression. 
uh, particularly done by this supermajority, how does that shaping of the electorate, how does that affect our democracy? Yeah, that's a really complex one. Um, I mean, it's certainly the again, this is something where we have a set of rules that got uh, that, you know, establish how district maps can be drawn. Um, I, my understanding is that the rules around state legislative maps are much less stringent or much less specific than the rules around congressional districts for the federal government, um, which really gives people a lot of leeway to draw, draw maps the way that they choose. And I know that there was um, quite a bit of controversy in this last uh, district drawing cycle, um, as well as the one before that. And that can you know, be used certainly to um, you know, create safe districts, create um, uh, or to divide um, safe districts uh, for the minority group and, and, and change essentially the composition of the legislature. Um, that being said, the good news again is that we will still have another election cycle. And I have a lot of confidence that if the voters were to choose to uh, remove one of the, you know, one of their representatives from power, that there would be political turnover, which is, you know, kind of the hallmark of democracy. Yeah, let's hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Holly McCall, editor in chief of the Tennessee Lookout is still with us. Now, Holly, you know, I'd really like to have you weigh in here. We touched on this a bit earlier, but do you see political norms shifting in our state politics? I a little bit. Um, as I said, Democrats, when they were in the supermajority, were just as capable of bad behavior. I think part of what is different now is there's much more, it's much easier to publicize the bad behavior. Things that flew under the radar 20 or 30 years ago don't fly under the radar now because everybody's got a camera on their iPhone. You can you know, film things in real time. But I would say there's something a little bit different about this shutting off of discourse because it's not happening just in the state legislature. It's happening in local bodies as well. Um, we take this 500-foot view of what's going on around the state. And in Sumner County, for instance, there's been um, – the Sumner County Commission is now dominated by a group that calls themselves constitutional Republicans. And they are open about the fact that they want to put Christianity back into government and they want a Christian-led – a theocracy, if you will. And not too long ago, they had a disagreement with – Uh, like somebody who works for the county who was speaking before uh, the county commission. And a county commissioner said, well, you're not going to be allowed to speak for the next three months. How do you tell somebody that they are not allowed to speak for the next three months because you don't like what they say? So that is a shift I think we've seen more over the last six or seven years. And I'm really enjoying listening to both of these professors not to single one out, but I have been studying um, autocracy myself and authoritarian governments on my own. So I'm loving what she's hearing because that is a hallmark of authoritarian governments to shut off public discourse. Now, is this shutting off, Cindy, is this shutting off a public discourse kind of a reflection of the, let's call it the bifurcation of our politics right now? You know, everything seems to be an intensely deep-rooted, mean-spirited, bipartisan fight. And that ideal kind of trickles down to the people who cast and cast votes to put these lawmakers in there. Is that reflective of the electorate body of the the people here in Tennessee? I think there's two things to think about. One is who are the people that we hear about in the news and who are the people who are actually living in our communities? Mm. So if we think about the news media, no offense intended, right, we do focus on uh, conflict 
we focus on the negative and we focus on those voices that have the most strident views. Mm -hmm. And so the picture of the sort of American voter, the Tennessean voter that we hear is one where there are these deep, mean-spirited partisan views and we've gotten to a point where we can't stand each other. Then there are the people who are living in our communities who have said, you know what, politics is not for me. I'm just sick of it. We had talked. You talked earlier in the program about being disgusted. The people, um, these are the folks who just don't want any part of politics. They don't like the bickering. They don't like the conflict, and they have t- tuned out. And I want to, you know, acknowledge that those folks are out there as well. So the voices we hear are the loud ones who are. Uh, rancorous and conflictual. But there is also this group who have decided they want to stay on the sidelines. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about the political fallout from last week's move by the State House to expel two Democratic lawmakers with Holly McCall, Aaron York, and Cindy Cam. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Now, Aaron is someone who studies these things and getting high praise uh, for studying these things. What's important to look at for the signs that our democratic systems are moving towards fascist fascism or authoritarianism. Yeah. So, you know, again, the kind of base, most essential aspect of, of democracy are the elections, the electoral institutions and the idea that competitive elections uh, determine who is in power. Um, but beyond that, we also look at the other kind of core uh, democratic institutions, um, the legislature being one of them, the judiciary, the degree to which it's independent, unable to adjudicate um, the laws and, and in accordance with the constitutional rules. And then finally, the media is a really important, has a really important role. And the degree to which the media can serve as a watchdog for these kinds of things. Um, I think Holly made a really important point that uh, the fact is that there's a lot more scrutiny on what happens in legislative assemblies these days. Um, And I think in this particular case, the action that the the Tennessee legislature has taken has brought an incredible amount of national scrutiny. Uh, And so that's a, you know, that's a good thing for for democracy, the idea that we have transparency um, in what happens and that, you know, the names of the people who voted um, the lawmakers out are published and the names of people who voted to keep them in are published. And that gives constituents an opportunity to, you know, the, why that's important is it gives constituents an opportunity to evaluate um, the performance of their representatives in office. So they now they know who voted what way or they know, you know, what action the legislature has taken. And that gives them an opportunity for accountability. What about restricting the vote or free assembly of the people? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that the you know the right to protest or the you know free free speech is also you know a core right in in our democracy and the you know ability to protest is a really important one. Um, I know that the legislature has taken some action um, in the wake of the um, the Black Lives Matter protests to restrict uh, the forms of protest that can take place. Um, obviously, there are still other forms of protests that can and do take place, um, and you know. Realistically, one thing that that citizens can do when they see things that are um, that are in violation of what they think of as being democratic ideals is, you know, use their voice um, to, to, you know, take action, um, participate in protests, contact their representatives. Uh, and, you know, that essentially that is one way to keep the democracy functioning. Of course, uh, it's it's always concerning when you see um, a legislative supermajority kind of behaving in this way, singling out opposition members um, for this type of action in a, in, you know, really a partisan way. Mm-hmm. Now, Holly, the legislature basically changed the rules so Justin Jones couldn't camp out at the plaza anymore, right? That's correct. So he was leading some of the Black Lives Pro, uh, Black Lives Matter protests in summer of 2020 after George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. And the law that got passed in a special session, which 
cost the taxpayers quite a bit of money, was to say that people could not, quote, camp out on public property because Justin Jones was leading a group of people who camped out on the legislative plaza in front of the Capitol for 62 days. And, and I will tell you, that set him up for confrontations as soon as he got into the legislature. I would say that there is a lar- there's a large group of that supermajority that's been gunning for him ever since he got there. Okay. Now, Cindy, do things do things like this have a chilling effect on political perception? I think there are a couple ways that ordinary people might respond. One is a chilling effect in terms of people saying, oh, this is just, they're just, what are they fighting over? They're fighting over, you know, politics as usual. This is, you know, legislators just you know, talking about how you behave and whether you can talk loudly. And so there are some groups of people, I think, who will tune out and say, you know, this is just another example of politics as usual. There could be other people, though, who see this play out. And as uh, Professor York was mentioning, maybe it actually has a, a rebound effect. That is, it um, stirs inside some people the sense that I need to pay attention. I need to actually contact my representative because I don't think it's right to expose someone for speaking out of turn for 30 seconds on the House floor. Maybe that's not the right thing. So there's a possibility, I think, that people may see the unfolding events and say, you know what, this shouldn't have happened. Or maybe they actually say, "Um, I thought we were going to talk about gun violence. Uh Where is that conversation? Right. So sort of the ridiculousness of this affair might actually put, uh, you know, some pressure on lawmakers to return to actual issues, as Jacola was mentioning earlier. You know, Aaron, tell us, you know, what are some signs that our democracy, that we're headed in the wrong direction? We have barely 30 seconds left. Sorry to leave you with such short time. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, again, we want to pay attention to the institutions that I mentioned previously. So infringements on press freedoms, infringements on transparency, removal of transparency or restrictions on the right uh, to protest or to voice free speech. Of course, you know, with the acknowledgement that, you know, there's there can be reasons to um, to be orderly in how we protest um, to the extent that that will allow more voices to be heard. Um, but, you know, those restrictions on the degree to which people know what's happening in government are are, are important. Um, you know, any signs of, of judicial uh, impingement or, you know, a lack of partiality in the judiciary is concerning. Um, and of course, elections, you know, that's the most important one. So making sure that our elections stay competitive, free and fair. That's what we want. Yes. And elections do have consequences as well. Heard that a long Absolutely. time ago in political science class. <laughs> I'd like to give, I want to thank my guests so much for being here. Political science professor Cindy D. Cam and assistant professor Aaron York, both with Vanderbilt and also Holly McCall, editor-in-chief at the Tennessee Lookout. Thanks to you all for being here. I'm sure we'll be bringing this conversation back again. Really appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for having me. Thanks to everybody for tuning in this hour. Tomorrow we'll talk with young people to get their response to the Covenant shooting. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. McKelly Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blake. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lake Alona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>